So one day, Corey comes to see me. His wife comes along. Corey uh, was a long-haul trucker. I don't know how old he was that day he came, mid-60s. I think he had just retired. And he asked if we would pray for a serious health issue he had. There was something significantly wrong with his heart. And so we followed the James 5 passage. If any one of you is in trouble, if any one of you is sick, he should call the elders to church, which is a humbling thing to do to say, I need a touch from Jesus. And we prayed for him, and we prayed very specifically for his heart to be touched. And when we were done, he got up, he left myself and two other people. And the next day he calls me and he says, Jesus has done a very unusual thing. And I said, what happened, Corey? And he said, well, I thought I should just ask you about the heart thing. I never mentioned to you about the infection I have on the right side of my body, a significant infection. And when you prayed for me, I felt something in my body And Jesus didn't touch my heart at all, but he healed the infection on my side, like that. And I just smiled, and I thought, our Jesus, sometimes he just likes to do the unexpected. He likes to do the unexpected. Today we're going to be giving you an opportunity to come to be prayed for, at the end of the service today. This is something we do two or three times a year. So sometimes people come for physical healing. Sometimes they come for spiritual healing, emotional healing. Sometimes they come on behalf of someone. And I encourage you to be, if you haven't already, to keep this little card handy that we've handed out to the families as they've come in. And there's just some real practical questions that you can be asking yourself. We gave them out last week as well in preparation for today. And as we look into God's word now, I'm going to pray with you for a second. Oh, how we welcome you here by your spirit, Heavenly Father. We pray that you would be exalted this hour. We pray that you would point us to your son. And Lord Jesus, would you touch and move in the ways that you know we need in ways that will bring great glory to you. So we invite you to speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. A typical house in that era, and oftentimes even today, is a flat-roofed house. And they would often have an outside staircase outside the house itself to gain access to the roof, because they would often go out and sit up there at night when it's especially hot and starting to cool down. And so up they went onto the roof. They found something to dig with, and they began to dig. And the roof itself is made of wooden beams, and then clay tiles are laid on top of those wooden beams, And then they create a thatch of straw and mud that hardens with the sun and becomes like a super hard clay. And that's the roofing surface of their home. 
And so it's very hard digging, and they had to make a really big hole in that roof. Why did they go to all that work and totally thrash that guy's roof? If you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to the book of Mark. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. It's the second of four biographical stories outlining the life of Christ. How he was born, how he grew up, and a lot of time spent on his public ministry in the last three years before he goes to the cross on our behalf. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and today's talk is called Make a Mess, and you're going to see why. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We know from chapter 1, that Jesus has been preaching and teaching and healing in all the, the areas and communities around the Galilee, which is up in the northern one-third of the nation of Israel. He's been teaching, as I said, and healing many people. And he had been in Capernaum before, which is in the northwest, if you know a map of Israel, it's in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, right at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And he's been in Capernaum before, he's teaching in different places, and now he returns to Capernaum, probably to the house of Simon and Andrew, which is referred to in chapter 1. We don't know this for sure, but he would often do things like this. The word of his actions has been spreading all through Israel. Because Jesus, everyone is saying, is unlike anyone there has ever been. He preaches and speaks with an unprecedented authority. Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were the religious and intellectual elite of that society, the top 1% of that society were dumbfounded by the things he would say. They didn't like him. They thought he threatened their power base. 
And they were looking for any way that they could cancel him, which is, of course, stuff that's going on in our culture right now. We've got to find something we can use against this guy. And so they would ask him trick questions, and his answers would astound them, leave them in a position where they had nothing to say, and their mouths hanging open. And these are guys that always had something to say. And so everyone has heard about Jesus, and they have known and heard about and perhaps even seen when he will heal people. And there's clearly miracles that are being done through his life. And when people would come to him with incurable situations, he was able to heal. He's so well known, it says in chapter 1, that there's so many throngs of tens of thousands of people coming to find him that he can no longer openly enter a community because he would be overwhelmed by the crowds. And so he has to kind of stay out in the desert kind of scrub areas where it's more less people. But now he has returned to Capernaum, and the entire community has turned out to see him and experience him. And he's in this house, and there's so many people. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd like this, but I've been in two or three of them at least in my day, where there's so many people that you actually have to put your hands at your sides, put your hand on your wallet, and there's people pressed up against you on every side. And the house is completely jam-packed. The windows have got people trying to stick their head in. The door is open. There's a huge mass of crowds spilling out from the doorway, straining to try and hear the things that he's saying. Four men arrive late probably because of the thing that they're carrying on this improvised stretcher or mat. They're carrying what I'm guessing is a young man, and I say this because Jesus refers to him later as son, and I don't know this for sure, I'm just guessing. And this young guy is a paralytic man who for some reasons is not able to walk. They have heard the stories about Jesus. Maybe they have even seen him heal someone because he's been in Capernaum before and he's been speaking, like I said, in the surrounding communities. A lot of his ministry uh, resonated around the Galilee, if you study his life. And they believe that with all their heart that he can touch their friend. And so they arrive at the house It's packed. There's obviously no way they can go through the crowd and people are not going to give way because they want to hear what Jesus has to say. And so they look at each other, step back, and they think to themselves, what are we going to do? And one of them has an idea. They look around, they find some rudimentary tools or whatever, and the work begins. And try to imagine with me if you're inside the house, Jesus is in there preaching, the place is stacked, and all of a sudden you start to hear this banging noise above you, the dust starts to come fluttering down, pretty soon chunks of stuff is coming down, and people are picking it out of their hair and brushing it off their tunic. And the roof gets totally thrashed. And all of a sudden, this guy gets lowered down through the roof, I'm guessing tied to this mat or this stretcher. And they're asking Jesus to touch him. And they have gone through a lot of work, a lot of hassle, to get him to Jesus. 
If you want Jesus to touch you or someone you love, are you willing to come? Think about what they went through to get him to Jesus. They probably had to fix the roof afterwards too. So Jesus sees all of this. He recognizes their incredible humbleness. You can't mistake the fact that when you read the book, God likes to work with humble people, with moldable people. He sees their incredible humbleness. He sees their trust in God. He sees their faith that's fully on display. It's not just something they talk about. It's actually being acted out. And as the man is lowered through the roof, Jesus does something that's totally unexpected. He says, your sins are forgiven. They're going to Jesus to have him heal him physically, and he begins by touching this man spiritually. And this is very much in keeping with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's frequent examples of sin and disease and forgiveness and healing interrelated together. In a sense, sometimes in the Old Testament, healing is conditioned on the forgiveness of God. And so you can read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where it says, if, if people will humble themselves and seek God's face and repent, God will forgive and heal. In Psalm 103, it says, God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. In Isaiah chapter 19, it talks about this again. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And people are blown away by this. This is not something you say in that culture. It infuriates the teachers of the law. For them, only God can forgive sin. And for anyone else to make that kind of claim was blasphemy, punishable by death. And so, without the room, if the Roman authorities are around, they would have been wanting to pick up rocks and stone him to death. This would have been their first thought. For the teachers of the law, Jesus was not God. In fact, for them, according to the way they understood the Older Testament, Messiah could not forgive sins. They certainly didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, but even if they had thought that he was the Messiah, they would not think that he could forgive sins. They would say only God could do this because they didn't understand the idea of Trinity that we sang about earlier in the service. That there is one God who expresses himself in three distinct persons. Not something the human mind can get its mind around. And so their fatal error is in not recognizing the fact that Jesus was the Son of God who has the authority to forgive sin and that Jesus is the Spirit-filled God-man that Scripture clearly teaches. Key question. Who is Jesus to you? I would argue the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Who is Jesus to you? Because one day, everyone that's listening to me, everyone that's ever existed is going to be asked that question standing before God. God who the scripture says is a righteous judge, a holy God. And to mutter something that 
It's probably a popular misconception now. Jesus was not just a wise guy, not a wise man. Jesus was not just the greatest moral teacher the world has ever known. No, he, in this passage, and in many other places, he's saying, I am God. There is no other God. I am God. What do we do with that? And so Jesus forgives this guy's sin. The religious dudes are angry as all get out. And he does this because he wants to call attention to the greatest need this person has in their life. We would look at this guy on this mat being lowered through the ceiling, through this improvised hole, and we would think to ourselves, this guy's greatest need is to walk. That would be our natural assumption. And of course, that's important. But much more important than that is his standing before God. And so Jesus, who is filled with the Spirit, exercises one of the spiritual gifts that he has in his life, and he exercises the spiritual gift of word of knowledge. And he knows what they're thinking. Because he's filled with the Spirit, this has been revealed to him. And so he poses this question that blows them away. Is it easier for you to say your sins are forgiven or to pick up your mat, say, pick up your mat and walk away? And of course, they got nothing to say. They're sitting there scratching their head going, what is going on here? They're afraid to say anything. And of course, the reality is, is neither of these is easy. Both of those things are completely impossible for a human being on their own. But at the same time, both are equally doable for God. And so Jesus says, just to show you what my authority is, I'm going to just say, rise up and walk. And as God, he forgives this man of his sin. And as a man filled with the Spirit, he heals. So the man jumps up immediately and gets up and walks away. And everybody in the crowd, the text says, including, I'm assuming, the people that want Jesus' head on a platter are amazed and end up praising God. So they carry the guy up there. They dig through the roof. They give everybody a dust shower. They make a lot of noise. They trash the roof. They would not be deterred. Why is that? Because they had realized something really profound. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. A lot of people don't like to hear that. They really don't like to hear that. I hear this all the time. The Bible, you don't have to believe it. It's free country, but it's extremely clear. <laughs> extremely clear. No ambiguity whatsoever. Jesus is the only answer. And we need to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Even if it's incredibly messy, like it was in this story. We need to do what it takes to bow at the feet of Jesus. And I don't know where you are in life, but ask yourself, what is holding you back from Jesus? What's the obstacle? Is it your pride? It's usually our pride. 
We don't like to humble ourselves. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to admit that there is a God to whom we are answerable. So that might be the one. That's often and most often the one. Sometimes it's because we're afraid. Afraid of the unknown. Sometimes it's because we're just unaware. Well, I didn't know Jesus did that kind of stuff. Maybe I've never come across this before. Maybe it's because you've been hurt and you're holding on to unforgiveness. The Lord Jesus is able to address and help with every one of those things. To bring freedom so that you can begin to discover, and sometimes it's a process of being healed in that area. I challenge you to walk through or walk around any obstacle in the path. And you're not going to be able to do this on your own. Not a chance. But Christ will help you. If you're willing to say, I need a touch from Jesus, he'll help you. If you need grace today, like this guy did, what I mean by that is the Bible says every single person has done sinful things. You're not a unique case. You're not special. You're just like me and everyone else. Every one of us is separated from God. Every one of us is hopelessly lost in terms of having a relationship with a holy God. And this is at the heart of why Jesus came to pay for and to stand in the gap for your sin, my sin. And he says, if you'll admit that and admit that I'm the only way that this can be healed and dealt with, I will forgive your sin when you ask me to. I will commence and start and launch a relationship with God where he's in charge of your life, where you just say, I'm all in, Jesus, here's my life. And not only will he give you eternal life, but he will shape you and empower you and mold you every day. When you come to Jesus, you can expect, this passage teaches, you can expect the expected and expect the unexpected. The unexpected as well. And we see this in the story. Jesus gave him what he needed the most. And then what he thought he needed the most. And it may be that you would come expecting one thing, like Corey did when he came to me and a couple of others, and Jesus did something else for him. That's the thing. He's in charge, not me, not you, not anyone else. He's in charge. And maybe there's another area in your life, I don't know, maybe there's another area in your life that he wants to attend to first. As you come, you need to be willing to ask the question of yourself, am I willing to submit to his leadership? Again, there's that old pride kicking in. And he invites you to come with, and this is not, not my expression, I borrowed it from my friend Doug, come with expectation without an agenda. Expectation of what Jesus will do without an agenda. You have to do it this way, Jesus. No, he doesn't actually. He will do it the way it needs to be done. And he knows exactly what you need and he'll give it to you. He won't give you any more or any less than exactly what you need. And sometimes we get very confused about what that means. 
about what we think we need. And it says in the book of James, sometimes we ask for things, but we don't receive them because we ask with wrong motives or we're listening to outside voices. The goal in all this is to hear the voice of Jesus and to receive exactly what he wants to give because he's never confused, (laughs) never. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what we need and he gives it to us. So some of it may be expected, if you come, and some of it may be quite unexpected. What do you need from Jesus today? Because nothing's changed about him. This is one of the coolest things. Everything in our world is changing. Everything, all the time. The generational gaps are shrinking all the time. I don't remember what I heard was the latest generational gap. It's two or three years now. Used to be many, many years ago, 40 years. Now they're saying things are changing so rapidly, you know, three or four, maybe even two years, there's a generational gap. What do you need from Jesus? Because nothing has changed about him. It says in the book of Hebrews that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in just a moment, we're going to practice the pattern of James chapter 5 that I referred to earlier. Sometimes God just heals someone when someone just prays just, and just says, pick up your mat and go. Sometimes he does it that way. And sometimes and it, there's no right way to do it. There's different biblical patterns. And so we're going to use the James 5 passage today, as I referred to earlier, as any one of you sick, is any one of you in trouble, he should call the elders or the, like the leaders of the church to come and to pray for you. And so you can come today for spiritual healing, as I said, or physical healing, or emotional. If you're online and you're not here with us in person, and you'd like to be prayed for, you could call or email in, and we'll get to that later. If, for example, just like these guys brought someone and they kind of acted as his agents on his behalf, you might want to uh, be, come and ask us to pray on behalf of someone. So for example, if your child is rejecting God, we would be honored to pray with you about that. If your marriage has some issues, come as a couple. Or if your spouse hasn't come, you could pray, come and be prayed for on behalf of your marriage. Um, If your child is sick, um, mom or dad, come with them. And it's not going to be a counseling session when you come, but having said that, just want to be really upfront. The people that are praying for you, We've encouraged them, empowered them to ask direct questions, to use their spiritual gifts. And so Jesus uses a spiritual gift where because he's filled with the Spirit, he knows what they're thinking. God enables him to do this. And so there might be some real direct questions for you. One thing they will ask for sure is they'll say something like this, as specifically as possible, What do you want or need for Jesus to do for you? So we can pray specifically. Come, as I said earlier, with an expectation, without an agenda. Come humbly. Come with what I would describe as a healthy desperation for a touch from God. Come willing to submit. Jesus, whatever you have for me, Whatever it is, 
even if I'm not expecting it at all, I'm open. I want to be touched by you. Come prepared. This is one of the things we coach those that are going to be praying for you. We say to them, come prepared to trust God for more than you're comfortable with. So I say the same to you. Come prepared to trust God for more than you're comfortable with. There'll be four stations here in the sanctuary. One up here, what we call stage left. One right here in the middle. And one over here on my right, stage right. And then one up in the balcony as well for the people that are, you know, the higher ups up there or whatever. Let me just say, it doesn't matter who you go to. Sometimes people think, wow, I got to go to that special, that certain person over there. You know, the one with the letters in front of their name or after their name or something like that. It's not about that. It's no person that's healing you. It's all based in Jesus and what he wants to do for you. So you're going to be invited to come publicly. People can see you when you come. But at the same time, it will be privately. There'll be some music playing gently in the background. So nobody else can hear you except the people that are praying for you. And they won't talk to other people about it, okay? Wait your turn. If you see someone's there, sit back a couple of rows so they can have that privacy I talked about. Um, Pastor Aaron will actually be kind of roaming around looking for people that just, and just kind of directing them. Well, you could go there, or you could go there, or if you need this or whatever. So he'll be watching for you. It may take a while because uh, sometimes there's quite a few people that come. Don't, uh, don't miss out on what God would have for you because you have to wait for a bit. Um, on the card, on the one side of the card, it, it talks about those that are not coming to be prayed for. Uh, there's a couple of options. You can stay in the sanctuary and just pray for the people who are being prayed for or the people that are doing the prayer. If you need to go or you want to spend some time with friends or whatever, we're going to invite you to just leave and go out into the lobby and they'll close the doors so that you can visit out there. I teach on this, like I say, with some frequency. And so this, what I'm about to say, I've taught on many times longer. But let me just say this. Our God always heals. Sometimes he does it supernaturally, right on the spot. Like we read in this passage today, in Mark chapter 2. Sometimes he heals over a period of time. Prayed for one guy once who had a raging infection in his eye. The next morning, totally gone. Pus oozing out, totally gone the next morning. So sometimes it's over time. Most often, God heals through medicine and through doctors because everything we have without exception is a gift from God. And so the capacity to create medicines, to gain and properly use our knowledge, all a gift from God. Sometimes he's going to wait until resurrection day. He always heals. He knows exactly what we need. His timing is always perfect. And the methodology of how this goes to being is up to him. And we praise him for this. We, same this, we serve the same Jesus today. 
And when the stations are set up, which they'll start setting them up while we're singing this next song, uh, we invite you to come. I'll say a couple of words after we're done singing just to pray and close the service, but they'll be getting the stations set up, and then we invite you to come.